Drop the subject. Yes, it has begun. It has begun. It is time. Allie and uh, James, Dr. James Simmons, nurse practitioner. We are here together to keep you company. You know what I was thinking? Uh, well, first of all, I have a bone to pick with you, yeah. but it, and it's it's about <laughs> movie and TV <laughs> recommendations. Oh, really? Oh no! But just before we were cracking Darn the it. mics today, I was thinking, you know, if you are listening to this show at home and maybe you've tuned out, sort of like you've got something on the TV in the background, and it does that still watching. Oh, right. <laughs> are you still watching? Yeah, yeah. We should do that for this show. Oh. <gasps> Oh, that is a fantastic idea. Like in the middle, it just pauses. Just go like, still listening. Still listening. And it, are you still listening? <laughs> should we should we we should do it Jesse's voice so that it's like super annoying. <laughs> so that no one hears it. And that people have to decide whether or not they're listening. Uh, are you guys are you guys hey. still listening? Um, hey guys, are you hey, listening? Uh, are you guys still listening? If you're listening, just tap resume. Um. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh my gosh! And listen, I don't. I mean, we've heard Jesse a little bit on like you know uh, young people watching old movies or whatever. But Ali, your your Jesse is getting very good. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> it will not help me get on SNL, but it's just another impression to add to my arsenal. Okay, uh, yes. now let me get to the bone I have to pick with you. I mean, the last time a woman said that to me, no, I'm kidding. Mm, I was told by you uh-huh. off the air. Yes. To watch a new show that's incredible oh, on Netflix. Well, you're welcome. Uh-huh. So, you told me to watch a show. <laughs> oh, no. Called... I don't even remember which one it was because I'm always okay. like, now that I'm not in school, I'm like, I have so much time to watch TV. Not really, but I am. Well, I wanted to recommend Indian Matchmaker if you're not already watching Uh-oh. it. Whew. I don't know. Solid. So you don't want to watch it? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I get you. Remember, I got to convince this other behemoth of a man that lives in my house to, and he's very picky about what we watch. So we'll see. Okay. Well, well see. it's just like another dating reality show. Oh yeah, you know, right top of my list. Top of okay. my list. Solid recommendation. Now, the recommendation that you gave me was for Warrior Nun. Yes. Which the title was throwing me off right away. <laughs> Like there was, you know, dating red flags. There are TV show red flags where someone's like recommending something and you're like, mm, I don't know if this is for me. TV is so subjective, right? But you were saying you got to watch Warrior Nun. Mm-hmm. And why don't you tell me, just tell our listeners what the premise of the show is. So it's super cool. Basically, there are some nuns who are also warriors. <laughs> Hence, the show is being named Warrior Nun. But no, okay, here's the thing. There's this woman and she dies. And then while she's dead, all of a sudden the warrior nuns are fighting off the demons and they have this little thing. It looks like a brake pad and they have to like take the brake pad and like they take it out of this one nun who dies and then they stick it in this other woman's body because they she's uh. dead and they're like, we got to hide this thing from the demons. So they stick it in her body, but <gasps> it brings her back to life. And then all of a sudden uh-huh. she becomes like the master mega amazing warrior nun, except she fights it, right? She doesn't want to be the warrior, the coolest warrior nun. She's like, whatever. I just want to like go back to my life or like go back to being dead. I don't want to be a warrior nun. But then she ends up becoming warrior nun. She totally kicks ass. Like, it's super fun. Who doesn't want to watch nuns being warriors, Allie? So, me. <laughs> Damn it. The, if, in, case, in case you haven't watched it, spoiler alert, the show's bad. No, it is not bad. It's so okay. great. And there's the guy, the, the monk dude who's like... No, 
no, foreboding J- J- and the J- demons are great and there's like a love story thing going on. James, yeah. I watched, I, I, I embarrassed my own self because I was sitting there on the couch with my wife. She said, what do you want to watch? And I went to your recommendation. Oh, I trusted you. No. And I well, said, James, mistake. I <laughs> said, James <laughs> told me that we have to watch this new show called Warrior Nun. Yeah, and yeah. she said, what's it about? And I was like, it's something about... <laughs> nuns who are warriors against demons and nobody knows about it and there's a weird thing in your back and she was like I'm not sold but I'll I'll watch it because James recommended oh, it. We we're both getting no. in the James Simmons boat. Oh no. We watched the first 10 minutes of this show and but like it was like both of us didn't want to say anything and we we're like trying to get into it and uh-huh. it was so confusing and there was like what it was like literal war like first scene is like warrior nuns being like come on this way and I'm like what is going on and then like the woman dies and then the, it was like all the things you just yeah. described but like in a very fast paced no explanation format. Yeah, that's fine. And so it's the, we it's bo- the hook, Allie. It hooks you in because you're like, what is going on? I don't understand why they're like ninja warrior nuns. These nuns, by the way, are not necessarily the nuns you think. They have their habits are like all black. They're also all like 19, right? These are like young nuns, right? right? These are not like 87. <laughs> right. It's not sister act ninjas. These are like uh-huh. young. It's almost teeny bopperish a little bit, but that that didn't hook you. Nuns killing demons with ninja skills and putting brake pads in people's backs. No, I definitely thought that it was something that was made specifically for 12-year-olds. But no. I I I but we just both decided to turn it <laughs> off and watch something else, but the question that I bring to you is what happens when you don't like a TV recommendation that somebody gave you? I have been told to watch shows like The Walking Dead over and over again. Uh-huh. And then I ask what they like about the show. And they're like, mm, well, it's actually kind of slow. But once you really get into it, it's pretty good. And I'm like, but why should I watch it? Like, it's interesting when you get a recommendation from somebody and they like watching it, but then when they really think about it, do they really love the show that much? <laughs> and now you're not watching it anymore. Okay, so not not watching it. Just because you don't <laughs> binge something in one setting, sitting, or like one or two days, does that mean you're not that into it? So we power watched like the first four episodes of Warrior Nun. And then Chris got like three episodes ahead of me. And then he waited. He was like, I'll wait for you to catch up. Well, I haven't watched those three catch up episodes yet. I just am like, I don't know. There's like other stuff going on. Yeah. When you get off sync, then it's like uh, you just have to Yeah, it kind of throws it off. So it's not that I still don't like Warrior Nuns. By the way, keep watching. It totally gets better. But (laughs) it's not that I don't like it. I just were paused. So does that mean that I don't like the show or does that mean I'm just in a pause? Uh, I don't know, but I, I, think you should if watch you're, I would than, argue that if you haven't watched the entire season, you shouldn't be recommending it in the first place because you don't know where it's going to well, go. Maybe you should watch more than 10 minutes of an episode, Ali, <laughs> before you make judgments. <laughs> on pe- Listen, I INFJ. <laughs> what is what is the worst recommendation that you've gotten for a TV or movie? Uh, we want to know at DTS show. Get at us on Instagram or Twitter. We'll be right back with more. Drop the subject. Drop the subject. The new channel Q. Drop the subject on the new channel Q. Allie Johnson, James Simmons, and okay, so Allie <laughs> spent an entire seven minutes putting me on blast in the last break. I know I'm not supposed to just talk about the last break, but I have to because it is, this is a continuation of that conversation. So I very strongly, very strongly <laughs> recommended a show to Allie. You know, Allie was talking about, okay, we've kind of watched through everything we've done. We've kind of burned through this stuff. You know, what are you guys watching? And I was like, oh, there's this great show called Warrior Nun, and it's about... Warrior nuns. <laughs> and so Ali was like, okay, okay, like I'll, I'll give it a chance. And you and Katie watched it for 
all of nine minutes and 43 seconds and you just completely threw it out the window after that. And you were like, this is the worst recommendation that has ever happened. And therefore, I am now the poster child of bad recommendations. And I got really offended and sort of like, you know, PO'd about this. And then we started talking off the air in the break that this I'm now realizing is actually a pattern. (laughs) (laughs) That you are the guy who recommends things that nobody likes. And and because earlier this week from the Monday Munch Report, we talked about foods that are still on the shelves, foods that people will not buy, even in panic buying pandemic. And all of the foods that were listed, you were like, I love those. I love buffalo hummus. I love I love whatever it was (laughs) that we were talking about. And so is it this I mean, is it food and TV movie recommendations? Because then during the when we were just in this break, you were talking about how it's a group of you, a friend's group saying, what what should we watch? And you, of all people, are the one piping up going, we've got to watch Alien versus Predator 2. Everybody, (laughs) this is the recommendation and everybody listens to you and they're pissed about the recommendation and what? Do, how has the relationship with those friends changed after you've consistently given them bad movie recommendations? Oh, that is, it is, I am classic for that now with this particular friend group. And it was, and you were right, Alien versus Predator was the actual one. And I think whatever, I, I think that was the year that it was like The Departed or like Dreamgirls or I don't know, something was amazing <laughs> on it. Everyone's like, oh, let's go watch Dreamgirls or let's go watch you know, The Danish Poet or I don't know, whatever. One of those movies, like mid-2000s-ish, whatever. And I was like, you guys, Ali- <laughs> AVP2 is supposed to be amazing. <laughs> like the action is out of control. And it's actually, they're using this new CGI effect thing, like whatever. And my friends are like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, let's go watch Alien versus Predator 2 instead of watching like, you know, whatever, Pan's Labyrinth or whatever movies that came yeah. out during that, like yeah. these amazing movies, right? And I have turned into that person. But Ali, I have a theory. Lay it on me. I am, I think... This is balancing me in the universe because I think that in order for me to be able to give really good health education and medical mm. recommendations, I think I have to be bad at something else. Like, I, th- I don't think I can be that guy who just is really good at giving everybody really good recommendations about everything all the time. You know, that you make a good point. That's a good theory and a good excuse for giving people <laughs> bad recommendations. <laughs> excuse? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you are the one who is doing this on a regular basis, does this happen with restaurants as well? Or is this just movies and TV as far as you know? Uh, as far as I know, I'm pretty good at restaurants. I am. But here's the problem. No one tells you that they hate it. Right. I don't think anyone tells me. And now you really have me <laughs> thinking because I also am the person who will like eat like buffalo hummus and hummus. think it's really, really good. <laughs> I don't eat super, super weird stuff. Like I don't like want monkey brains or anything like that. But I will I will eat some things. But I'm I'm also very picky. Like I'm super picky about guacamole. Like I don't think that you can just get tableside guacamole anywhere and that it is good. I agree. Like I'm super picky mm-hmm. about that. I'm super picky about margaritas. I'm super picky about Chinese food. So I feel like if you rise to my standards with your, you know, storefront Chinese food and I say it's good, it is good. Okay. Okay. I'm looking up the worst shows on streaming right now <laughs> and I want to know which ones you watch and love. <laughs> I want to know if you've ever given a bad recommendation, Miss Like High and Mighty, right now. Oh, I don't. I don't know. Maybe I, no I feel like I you? give. 
No, well, I feel like I give recommendations of shows that like everybody watches, like Handmaid's Tale oh. and Breaking Bad. So you lame out. Game- then. So you lame out. You don't. You no, don't take uh, no. any risks. No, I don't lame out. I just don't recommend something unless I I have backup. So you wait for the rest of the world, all eight billion other people, to be like, "Yeah, Game I, of Thrones is great." Well, yeah, that's. I'm a follower. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you are an INFJ follower. <laughs> See, at least uh, yeah, I'm a risk taker, Allie. A warrior nun risk taker. You, you are a warrior <laughs> nun risk taker. The only things that I guess I would probably recommend that people probably wouldn't like are documentary uh, related type things because I'm super into documentaries and mer- and true crime documentaries uh-huh. and things like that. And I'm like, oh my god, you have to watch the trial of Gabriel. You know, w- b- you know whatever that one was that was super oh, sad, so sad, and like right? really graphic. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I'm like, you gotta watch it. It's so interesting, and it's all about the system and how it's broken. But you know, and people probably are like d- trying to find a new show for their family. And they're like, why don't we put on the trials of Gabe? Oh my God. You know, and it's like, no. oh, Lord, I, no. I needed like straight up therapy and or a cigarette after watching that alley. Like yeah. that was traumatic. <laughs> it was, yeah. And then the other one is probably hor- any kind of horror movie. Um, but I I know what I'm getting into if I recommend Annabelle 3. <laughs> but I'm probably going to be alone. <laughs> so does everyone else. Uh, all right, more Drop the Subject when we get back. Uh, and if you want more TV and movie recommendations from James, just let us know. <laughs> Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the Subject with Allie and James. Hey, you might be working from home. We are. Uh, we have been for many months. <laughs> for since 1974. Yeah, yeah. Quarantine since 2020 in March. And my my wife is working at at her at work now. She is not uh. working from home, which actually makes this whole work from home thing a little lonelier. But yeah. there was a, a quite a few there was a lot of days where we were trying to figure out whose workplace was where, when when does work, quote, end, what are the new work hours, et cetera, et cetera. It can be tough to figure out if you are, regardless of whether you're living alone or with other people, roommates, uh, you know, partners, anything. And apparently, there are two different work-from-home personality types. James, do you identify as a segmenter or an integrator? Are these letters we're going to have to add... Is it LGBTQAISI? <laughs> yes. You add it on to your sexual identity, so you're <laughs> a queer S or a queer I. I'm a queer. I'm a queer integrator. Well, okay. So I love this because you, you at first you were like that. There's two types, and it's like those who actually work from home and those who pretend to work from home. That's where my brain went. <laughs> but actually, what this is is that it's like if you are a segmenter, it's kind of what you think. You really segment your work life from your personal life. You have two separate calendars. You have a separate room in your house where you just get work done. Like when there are hours for work and hours for life, etc. right? Segmentor. Where an integrator is more of someone who's like, nah, I'm going to do a little work and then I'm going to go do the laundry and make some lunch and then I'm going to do a little bit more work and then I'm going to like walk the dog and then I'm going to have dinner with the family and then I'm going to go back and do a little bit more work and it's all on the same calendar and I kind of work wherever I want in the house and all of those things, I think. So now that you have a picture of what a segmenter is and what an integrator is, listeners, I am very much an integrator and my husband is very much a segmentor. So you're an integrator with time and space? Uh, so no, that excellent point, Allie. So with space, 
in order to save our marriage in the time of COVID, because <laughs> this was one of the, we, we've actually, you know, a lot of marriages have gotten stronger and a lot have gotten worse in COVID. We've talked about this. We definitely have gotten stronger. But one of the things we learned early on was that we, I had, we had to have very separate workspaces. So I have a very unique workspace and Chris has a workspace, but Chris falls asleep early at night. So then I start integrating. Yeah. <laughs> I start checking emails and doing stuff and whatever because like we're kind of always thinking about work, but it's also really easy for me to turn it off too. See, I think I was forced into being a segmenter because I was an integrator and that wasn't working for like like it was evening times that was really and this mm. is like years ago. This sure. isn't even super recent, but I've now gotten in the habit of okay, it's evening, no more work. It's yeah. it's family time yeah. or it's, you know, it's time to spend together. It's usually cooking and then going for a walk or watching a movie or whatever. And so now in my mind, my mental brain has now shifted where it didn't before. It would just be like I work all work whenever when yep. I where I just needed to get it done. Yep. And now I'm like, I, I can be like that during the day where I'm like, OK, hold on, I'll I'll do these dishes and then I'll go back to work. And then I like, I know that I need to have those breaks because I need to walk around a little bit, uh-huh. um, you know, for the screen time and whatnot. Um, but I definitely segment in the sense of I, I segment my space. I've got my little setup here. Uh, when we're right. done with the show, I put it all away. I make the room neutral again because I need mm-hmm. to. I can't walk into an office again and be like, ah, you know, it feels a little <laughs> bit like-, like it's too much. Sure. Well, and I think that there are, this is sort of a spectrum-y kind of thing too, right? I think we are, people are somewhere in between. Like you, you know, if you're segmented with your space, but you're integrated with your time sort of thing, like you like you brought up before. I do think it brings up a really interesting concept about when people start going back to the office, if we ever do, are you going to carry these over, right? Are you going right. to be, are you, are you that person who gets up and talks to everyone in the office all the time anyway, and people thought you were being lazy or avoiding work, but you're just an integrator. You just need to get up and integrate yeah. your social life with your work life and your go to the gym, you know, all of that. Right. If that's what it is, then I'm definitely a segmenter because when I was in the workplace and people were like, Hey, how's it going? And I was like, no, I was like, I just want to get my work done and go Don't home me. because I'm like, I'm here to work. I'm here to get my work done. And, and when I'm at work, I want to work uh. when I'm home. I want to, like I might do a little bit of work here and there, but when I'm working, I don't want to be socializing. Mm. And then everyone thinks I'm a bitch and that's how I get the reputation. I was just going to say. That's why I'm not on the monthly (laughs) employee (laughs) of the the month bleeder board. (laughs) Social committee. (laughs) No. (laughs) They're like, um, not on the event planning committee. Yeah. to, To help plan every birthday every month. No, don't ask her, please invite anyone, but (laughs) (laughs) no, uh, all right, more drop the subject when we get back. Tell us if you're a segmenter or an integrator at DTS Show on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be right back. Drop the subject. The new channel Q. Drop the subject with Allie and James. Um, how, I don't know if we, we we talked about this a little bit off the air, James, but uh-huh. the question of how your reading and book choices change as you get older. Oh yeah. When <laughs> when I was a younger. I was reading, uh, I don't know, Twilight. Sure. Let's say. Of course. Um, now I find myself at the pool reading Me and White Supremacy and 
Mary <laughs> Trump's new book, Too Much and Never Enough. And I'm like, wow, I've become somebody that like if somebody was reading that book at a pool and I when it was 10 years ago, I'd be like, please don't tell me about this book. Please don't tell me. about this book. <laughs> right. Don't don't talk to me. You also know that that's the person who's totally going to complain if you like put on a little music and bring out a totally <gasps> glass bottle, you know, like they're like, oh, they're going to totally go tell the, you know, apartment manager that I'm drinking by the pool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You've turned so, into that person. I've turned into that person, but I, I, I actually, to be fair, have been listening to Mary Trump's book, and uh, and I've never purchased a politics book, and also never have I been like, oh my god, it's out! I can't wait to download this and read it. Really? Whoa. But yeah, but it's been fascinating because you know when it was publicized, it was like, okay, there's this scathing book about Donald Trump and what he's really like and what his family is like, and at the beginning. It is rather scathing uh, uh-huh. because it's not like she has a good relationship with the guy and it's not like they're friendly uh, or friends or anything like that. Sure. Uh, and she even said, I'm I'm the odd person out right now for speaking out because it's like this thing in our family where no one outs anybody. No one talks bad about anybody. Uh, anyone who hasn't is either afraid to do so or it's like this family bond of like, don't air your family's dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. So she's airing the family's dirty laundry, but she's also a psychologist. So she is breaking down what the president, Donald Trump, can be diagnosed with. And she, she's like, he does have symptoms of narcissism, but also uh, schizoaffective disorder, but also <laughs> bipolar disorder and all this stuff. And you're like, whoa. Um, anyway, uh, I actually don't think it was schizoaffective disorder, but it was like a dissociative disorder, per- dissociative Dis- personality dissociative disorder. Personality, which yeah. was the, that was the first thing, by the way, that I like while he was running in 2016. I am not a therapist, a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever, but I... I was like, this guy has disassociative personality disorder and or narcissistic personality disorder, like hands down. Like he actually, I don't think, realizes it's part of these disorders. He doesn't realize the things that he's saying or the things that are coming out of his mouth are are seen and interpreted in the way that they are. Like, like it's almost like like he can't imagine a world that is not revolving around him. and, And that is actually part of the disorders. Right. Everything you said is correct. And so she goes over several theories like he could have this or he could have this. In the end, he would need to do a lot of testing and a lot of um, studies in order to really get a diagnosis, which he would not do. Person, he really woman, put, put himself man, in that place. Right. Camera, <laughs> TV. He did the one test. Out that's all he needed to do. That's right? all he needed to do. But what's really fascinating about the book is that she talks about the family dynamic of Donald Trump's parents and it's just it's like when you read it when you learn about somebody's life background and Uh you start to understand why they are the way that they are you're Uh like wow this makes so much more sense Mm. and it kind of helps me empathize with with the guy which is really all I have at this point oh no (laughs) (laughs) but but I mean not in a way where I'm like oh this guy isn't so bad I'm like oh wow of course He's a liar and an arrogant and an arrogant human and a person who's just making noise because he never was loved outwardly by his parents growing up. His dad was a workaholic and an alcoholic. His mom really? was completely. Yeah, his mom was uh, not emotionally 
well and had a lot of physical problems as well. And they had this whole mentality of like the men raise the men and the women raise the women. So like his mom was not very affectionate to him. And he spent all this time seeing his older brother, uh, his older brother, Freddie, getting berated by his dad for being emotional or not being into business and not being this like big power mogul so donald was like oh if i'm like that and if i if i'm this arrogant person who's not following any of the rules maybe i'll get my dad's attention and he did and so it's just really interesting Uh, to kind of poke at the family dynamics and see like oh of course this is how the monster was made uh the behavior was reinforced yeah for sure yeah just really interesting stuff highly recommend the book i'm not done with it yet but uh interesting 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 and speaking of interesting dr john paul is up next and we're going to be talking about microaggression for your wake up weekly wake up call there you go back (laughs) drop the subject the new channel q welcome back to drop the subject on the new channel q james ally ally james and as we do it is your wake up call with dr john dr john pleasure to have you back as always i am so happy to be here today because i know we are going to get into it Yeah, we most certainly are (laughs) going to get into it. And we're going to talk about the topic of microaggressions in the context of how these microaggressions continue to perpetuate systemic racism. The Ellen DeGeneres show is being investigated right now for a really toxic culture. And some of that came after a black woman who was on the show reported multiple microaggressions about how she should be thankful for the job that she had and that they couldn't tell the difference between her and the only other black woman who worked there, things like that. So in our effort to continue our conversations about systemic racism and and dismantling this as a concept, Dr. John, let's talk about microaggressions. Yeah, it's so very funny because microaggressions, macroaggressions, we oftentimes will utilize the definition and then we just kind of stop there, right? So for folks who have maybe are new to microaggressions and to macroaggressions, this idea of microaggressions being kind of like the tiny pins. I always like to think of it as this idea of like if somebody was poking you with a pin and you were you were bleeding, right? It's not an outright, you know, knife cut. It's just mm-hmm. the pricking at the skin, right? And you start to see the little bleeding. So microaggressions for some folks can be something so simple as, oh, I noticed you changed your hair. You don't look like yourself. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, something to the avail of, for instance, I once worked at a, a company. I know this is probably going to shock a couple of people. I worked somewhere and we oftentimes would have to go pick up food for the students that we worked with. And I had a colleague who was not of Black descent look at me and was like, hey, John, do you want to go pick up the chicken? And they smiled. And even though the way Mm. that they said it wasn't specifically like a I know Black people love chicken kind of joke, there was Mm -hmm. this intonation that I picked up of like, oh, you're trying to be funny when you say this, right? So microaggressions oftentimes are laced with a little undertones of stereotypes and racism. When we start getting into the macroaggressions, this the, the conversations around, oh, you're so articulate, right? This idea that, you know, oh, for me, I've, I've been yeah. called articulate so many times because I get on air and I can fully put, basically, I can quote unquote, put a well thought idea together, you know, or, or even the idea of when people, you know, I tell people I'm a doctor and they go, oh my God, you're a doctor, right? Like that question mark after something related to who I am as an individual. And so the one thing that I think in this conversation is so important is to get folks to understand that words mean things, right? (laughs) Intent versus impact is so important. You cannot, you know, intend to offend someone because of your own stereotypical bias or, you know, an ideology that you've taken on, but the impact is still there. And a lot of these impacts, right? When you make a joke about 
someone's hair or someone's smarts. Or, you know, I went to Compton today and I wasn't scared, right? Like this, when you do oh those my God. kind of things, th- that kind of stuff only continues to perpetuate this idea that Black people are less or marginalized people are less. And so it's important that even though we're having this conversation about macro and microaggressions, right? Really to get people to understand what are you really trying to say? And I've done that to folks. Folks have said certain things to me and I'm like, what did you mean by that? And when you ask that question, you see it in people's Ooh. face. They go, oh my gosh, I that's not what I meant. And I go, but that's what you said. So I need mm-hmm. you to be more intentional about how you utilize certain language when you're talking about me and my identity. And one question I had for you, Dr. John, was the the creation of the word microaggression, I believe, was started by a psychiatrist at Harvard. And the the term microaggression, I just wonder if you think aggression is the right word to use in this, because the examples that we're using, it seems a lot of them are unintentional, even though they end up being aggression. So I just wondered what your thought was on that. Yeah, I mean, and so I think that that's the thing. I always like to tell people, you know, so a couple of months ago, I, or actually about a year ago, I got to hang out with Eric Deggins. He is the writer of um, Race Baiters. It's a really great book. And ultimately, as we were talking, you know, he made a statement about white supremacy and all of that being invisible on purpose. And I think about that when we start having these conversations around microaggressions, right? The way that things are framed or the way that sentence structures are put together and the ways that folks may say something and it may not come across as hurtful. It's invisible intentionally, right? Like these, the, the, this underlying idea of like, I'm going to say something that's hurtful, even though, and it may seem so small, right? It's intentional. That that small kind of sting, it's meant to, to, keep, to keep hitting a person over and over and over and over again. So I think the point that I'm trying to make is, is that with microaggressions and with the note that you're making about, you know, where it comes from and, and, and what it's doing, um, it's working and part of a system that's larger in order to break black slash marginalized people down, right? This idea that, I mean, just walk with me here. I'll use myself as a great example. A couple of years ago, I went to Louisiana. I went to New Orleans with my husband for a vacation and I have put my hair in um, faux locks, right? And I I did that because I just genuinely was like, I don't want to be in New Orleans having to worry about my hair. Like as much as my hair is natural, it's still a lot of work. Um, And then I sweat a lot and all of these different things, right? And so I had my hair in locks for maybe I would say like two days before I left. And the feeling that I had while I was sitting in the area where we eat, where we ate lunch at my job, that notion that people kept walking past me and staring at me, it, it just, it reminded me, right? Like mm. this idea that I was different or mm-hmm. something about me was different. And even though mm. people weren't saying anything, and even when people did make comments, oh, I like your hair. This, this idea that, you know, those little moments, right, were intended for me to feel different in that moment. Does that make sense? So it, it's just this idea of things being covert and over. And in the moment of microaggressions, the covertness of some of the things that people say and how they say them, they're extremely intentional because they're working in part of a bigger system in order to make Black people feel othered, if that makes sense. I was just going to say that you're different you're differentiating like a, a person for example a person saying no i didn't intend to hurt your feelings but mm-hmm. there is still an intention behind it because yes. it's part of this larger system that you're feeding into mm-hmm. got it that's exactly and it. that there may there may not be intention as a whole other word right and that's a whole other conversation but the intention of the individual 
might not be in that moment to cause that pinprick of pain. Right. But the intention of the system mm -hmm. perpetuates keeping black folks down. And the, the issue then becomes white people not being aware of the system and the intentionality of it. And then when they do become aware of those things, then being able to stop doing those microaggressions, if, if, if that makes sense. We have lots more questions about what that actually means with Dr. John Paul. This is Drop the Subject. Stay tuned. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject on the new Channel Q. It is our weekly wake-up call with Dr. John Paul, and we are talking about microaggressions, which sometimes don't feel so micro. And the intentionality of some of these comments don't feel uh, like that, like there's an, an intention to try to cause pain, but sometimes they do. And, and in particular, one of the ones that really gets to me often is when people tell me that I don't sound black, or I often have, will have white people accuse me of code switching as a form of like racism and white people calling out my code switching to me feels much almost more like a microaggression but oftentimes people will be like oh i didn't even realize until i saw you that you were black or you don't sound black like you were saying before and this for those of you who don't know this concept of code switching is that there is a particular language that is considered by white systemic standards to be professional language right and that is the language that we use on the radio that is the language that i use when i am in the hospital that is not the way that I talk to my 78-year-old black father from Mississippi. That is not the way that I talk to my cousins that live in Memphis. That's not the way that I talk to my people. And it's just because that's how I've been taught and right or wrong, it is what I do. And that differences of languages and intonation and even speech patterns and things like this is called code switching. And when people call me out on it, it feels micro plus aggression. <laughs> Does that make sense? Between yeah, micro and macro? Sense. It makes total sense. The first thing that we really kind of need to sit with is this idea that there's so much power in language. There's still this idea that certain terminologies and certain words and certain ideologies are connected to the ways that we talk and the way that we speak about things specifically around race, because ultimately, again, a lot of the things that people say are very much a reflection of the things that people do. So it's imperative for folks to really sit with this idea. Like when you make a comment around, well, you don't sound black, right? What what are you really trying to say about a black person? Where I ideally in your mind, you're trying to sit with this idea that that person makes you comfortable, right? So let's mm -hmm. unpack that a little bit more. This idea that this black person makes you comfortable means that somewhere in your life, somebody has taught you to be afraid of black people. What does that fear of black people mean? I know that a lot of times I get in trouble, quote unquote, around on social media because people will go, Dr. John Paul, you're always digging. And I'm going, yeah, because I want to get to the root of your meaning, right? Like I want to get to the root of what you mean when you say to me that I don't sound black or that I sound so, um, you know, you're so eloquent when you speak. What does that mean, right? Do you, does that mean that because I opt, you know, on one day to utilize what I like to call black vernacular, that that makes me somehow less educated? No, it just means that I'm comfortable. And I even wear shirts that says I'm too tired to code switch because even at the end of the day, <laughs> code switching right. is a lot of work. It is a lot of work to mentally have to go back and forth between how do I say this and how do I how do I think about the way that I say this and how do I think about how that goes across? And that's a whole conversa conversation for a different day. But I think for us on this line around what people say and how they say it and what it means, 
I really want to challenge folks to start really thinking about what is the root of some of the words and the ideas and the concepts that you have when you start talking about what it means to be Black as a whole. Because that's where the microaggressions begin, right? There's this rhetoric, this unspoken rhetoric around what it means to be Black in America that nobody wants to talk about. And when we start dissecting what folks are saying and how they're saying it, it really starts to give us the truth that we're oftentimes not really comfortable with like dancing with around what we think and what we've been led to believe around Black people. So that's where the microaggressions and the macroaggressions begin. It begins at that root of what are you really trying to say about me and my and my culture and why? We, uh, again, as per usual, every week, Dr. John, we could continue this conversation <laughs> for a very long time, but we, we certainly hope that this is uh, uh, continuing to make challenge people and to make them think. I think microaggressions is one of the really, really difficult things that a lot of people struggle with. And even when they're trying to do the right work, microaggressions are really, really hard for a lot of people. So I'm sure we will talk about this again. Dr. John Paul, thank you very much. We always appreciate you here at uh, Dr. John Paul on Twitter. Is that right? Everywhere. Yes. Dr. John at, Paul at- and... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say everywhere, all the socials. Yes, all the socials. Very good. Thanks, Dr. John Paul. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the subject presents News It or Lose It. Drop subject, news that are lose at time. Here's how it works. I'm going to give James two headlines, two things that are going on in the world. He can only news one of the two. James, you will give me two headlines, and I will only be able to news one or the one or the other. Words are hard. Aha. Uh-huh. Yep. And then we will give you both stories that we have newsed all in this beautiful, jam-packed six minutes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Headline number one, tourist snaps the toes off of 19th century statue while posing for photo. (laughs) I feel like uh, (laughs) that's awesome. I kind of want to know more, except I feel like I know I know everything by the headline. We're good. I'm going to lose it. All right. Losing it. And your second story is. NASA launches their new Mars rover, Perseverance, along with the first helicopter for another planet. Oh, super fun. I kind of know about this already, though. (laughs) I should have newsed it. Damn it. Well, you're going to hear about it again. Uh, You know what? I'll also throw in a little SpaceX stuff for you. How's that? Okay, perfect. All right. So I know you know about it, but I'll give you some little little updates about Cray Cray Elon. Uh, All all right. right. And headline numero uno for you, Allie Johnson. Stamps of Bugs Bunny in drag prove a hit for U.S. Postal Service. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. You know, Bugs Bunny really is... A, a gay icon. I I'm absolutely one hundred percent. How did we not? And I, I don't know how people didn't think that that Bugs was a gay icon in years ago. So very good, Ali. You you news that, and so what you lost was you uh, hearing about how Google, the Google smart speaker in your house, really is actually listening to you and recording everything that you're doing. Oh yeah, I don't give a crap about that. <laughs> I hope they watch me change. I dare you. I, I dare you. That's right. You are the person who doesn't really give a crap about that. I'm like hella paranoid about everything listening to me, and you're like, meh, whatevs. Yeah, I, I'm just. I'm a very I, anyone who's willing to listen to me. 
I'm okay with. I'm like, all right, you want to keep listening to me? Then sure. I mean, I'll take every listener I can get, even if it's a robot. Oh, that's super fun. Um, All right. Go ahead. I want to hear about this. Okay. So you, as you know, SpaceX landing happened. The splashdown happened on Monday. Uh My girl was telling her jokes that didn't land. It was great. (laughs) That's right. She kept saying that fireworks are on their way. And then she'd do her little... And then it would just kind of hang there. <laughs> and all of like all of the collective nerds were like dying laughing, but no one there was just like Exactly. And things things are really gonna heat up. <laughs> <laughs> Did she really say that? Oh yeah, it was great. Oh, that's amazing. See, she's boss. We need to have her on the show. She, I totally agree. So uh it was a real great play by play. It was nine <laughs> hours long. And now the uh, the astronauts, Bob and Doug, have given their account of what happened. And they mm-hmm. said that the the impact of going back into the Earth's atmosphere felt like a hit in the back of the chair with a baseball bat. Oh, my. They said, we, as we descended through the atmosphere, uh, this is Bob talking, I believe. I personally was surprised at just how quickly all the events transpired. It seemed like just a couple of minutes later after the deorbit burns were complete, we look out the windows and see the clouds rushing by. Unbelievable. Whoa, they said that it was really so cool. a rough ride, but they said that spa- the SpaceX ship drag crew dragon just flew seamlessly. So I definitely think it's a big win for SpaceX. And NASA has launched their Mars rover Perseverance. It's its later, latest mission to Mars. And it also, uh, so the goal of that is to search for the existence of microscopic life on Mars. And it seems that they're also putting a little small helicopter on it named Ingenuity, which claims to be the first aircraft to fly on another planet. How, I mean, how's that going to work with the atmosphere being different and the whatever? I'm, I'm assuming they designed the helicopter to fly in Mars's atmosphere, but uh, huh. Leave it to us to put drones on Mars. We're so douchey. Right. We're like, oh, uh, now we got a helicopter there. And, I want to see uh, Mars like in aerial view. Right. Yeah. It's like awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know what else is awesome is, uh, and I'm going to have to do it in my bro voice the whole time. <laughs> Stamps, Bugs Bunny, and Drag Alley. They, sh- like, they should have called the helicopter Bruh. Bruh. You've seen the hey, Mars, Bruh? <laughs> bruh. That's uh, that's what you win when you win beer pong, bruh. You win stamps of Bugs Bunny and drag. Okay, tell me about Mar- Bugs Bunny and drag. <laughs> well, I so I sort of love that the U.S. Postal Service decided to do this. They, you know, there's stamps are still a thing. People still collect stamps. People still stand stamps. Say that three times fast. So they stamps. Stay stamps. <laughs> um, the this is the 80th anniversary of the very first Bugs Bunny cartoon. 80 years. Oh my god. That is Man, quite a while. What year is I it? I think I was what, there. We're play that tomorrow. What year yeah. is it? Right. Um, so they released this stamp. It was just back on July 27th. And man, I really, really, really wish they would have done this earlier in the year because I feel like this makes me so happy when I see it. I think it would have helped a lot of us get through the quarantine a little bit better. I totally agree. And, and you know, Bugs Bunny and drag just makes everyone's life more fun. And, uh, you know, just... All of it. And and it is a bummer that we're not using stamps as much as we are, uh, as we have in the past. But hey, we've got the mail-in ballots. 
Oh, yeah. And you can use your bug stamp on there. It is the two of his most iconic scenes from What's Opera, Doc? Yeah, that's and a great one. It's a great one, right? Where he's like, like a Swedish, you know, whatever, with the Viking helmet on, whatever. And then Hair Ribbon is the other one where he's like a, he's like a mermaid almost with like a very 50s, like uh, fast talking sweet lady kind of do whatever. It's it's awesome and he's got a red lip to die for oh yeah he always was good with rouge all right when we get back the questions continue the gma our wednesday staple starts next drop the subject the new channel q drop the subject on the new channel q okay it's this thing we do every wednesday Apparently, it's me yelling. That's what we do every Wednesday. I yell at you. That's <laughs> every day. Through your It doesn't happen every day. Listen here, Allie Johnson. Okay, maybe it does happen every day. What we do do, get it, on Wednesdays is the Gay MA. I get to ask Allie Johnson anything that I want to know about her lesbianism, her womanhood, if you will, all of those things, all of the things that I've been too scared to ask my other lesbian woman <laughs> friends. Female identified friends. I ask Allie. She does the same for me. And we're doing it a little bit differently, though, because this GMA, we have this question and we, we share the question. So rather it being like a completely different question for Allie or Allie asking me one that differently, we're going to answer the same question. So, Allie, I will ask you first. There's a term that people use often. And I feel like when, well, I, I'm not going to tell you how I feel. I want to know how you feel. How do you feel, Allie? When straight people use the word partner. <sighs> See, I feel like people are going to be mad at me for saying this. Uh-oh. I don't like it. Really? I, yeah. I don't like it when... I, if, if, if I meet someone who's queer and they say partner, I'm like, great. That's awesome. That's, the, that's what you feel you want to say. And, and I don't use partner. I... I like to say my wife. I like to say my girlfriend. I've never. I've always felt like partner was a little too corporate for me. Mm. Uh, it just wasn't really what I. But but then I also understand on the flip side, people not wasn't wanting to use gendered terms like boyfriend or girlfriend. So sure. I get how partner works. I, I I think that I would really love it if we could come up with a better term than partner but I, I think just because partner has that you know it's my business partner is my partner kind of a uh, howdy partner it just has like a history to it that I that I <laughs> cannot <partner>. get past <laughs> but when I and I have met somebody who you know a guy was like oh this is my partner Lois and I'm like what first and, of all was this in 1940 your <laughs> name's Lois or did you just pull okay. that out of thin air? I pulled it pulled Okay, out of good. Air. <laughs> You're either watching Family Guy or you traveled back in time. I do not know okay. anyone in 2020 whose name is Lois. No offense Sorry. to the Loises out there. This is my partner, Edna. Have I gone back, brother? <laughs> right. Can you go a little further yeah. back? There's something about it that makes me roll my eyes and I'm like, why do we? And is, is it them trying to be inclusive? I would imagine so. So I shouldn't have a problem with it. But for some reason, it just bugs me. There was some there was somebody running for office a few years back who was doing it. And everyone was like so confused by it. <laughs> they were like, what is going on? Why are you calling them that? I is it what, If you're in a heterosexual relationship, I think the reason that you're using it is to try to be more inclusive to other people. But I'm just like, it's confusing to me. I would imagine that in a couple of years when everyone's doing that, it's not going to bug me. But what do you think? 
I, I definitely am have been where you are. I've been there, Hallie. I've been there. Yeah. And sometimes I still go there. Sometimes I think it is, it's not the right way of defining the relationship. And, uh-huh. and so that be for the, some of the very reasons that you said, it, it just doesn't, first of all, I think it's tough that we have just like one word that we try to sum up the importance of this person in our life. His, so historically and how we've been educated and cultured that, that word is husband and wife for those of us who are like in long-term monogamous committed relationships, right? Like we're doing this for life. That's husband or wife, but that leaves out. And, and this is, I think where my mind sort of changed a little bit on it is I have had very many multiple people in my life who are in the last few years, don't identify with a specific gender mm-hmm. and, and, or they're like sort of like, like GNC, like non-conforming or they're non-binary. And so the person that they are with or can't just call them girlfriend or boyfriend, right? Just because of what they previously identified with. They're not identifying with either. So then partner sort of works. I just don't like, so I think partner's fine, but I just don't like what partner doesn't encapsulate, right? I just feel like when people say partner, it it does. To me, it feels like business partner or Right, it's not specific to where you're at in your relationship. Yeah, my tennis partner. Like it doesn't show the significance of this person in my life. So you're right. I think we should come up with a new word. Should have something to do with drop the sub- subject, maybe. You know, let's make a This is word. my subject. Welcome <laughs> to the party. The DTS free space starts next. Drop the subject. The new channel Q. I really love the term that James just used. We're about to start free spacing. Yeah. Definitely a lot better than freebasing. Oh. Much better for you. Don't. And. <laughs> And it's a chance for us to talk about whatever the hell we want. We have four minutes to talk about whatever we want or whatever you want us to talk about. That's the beauty of the free space. Everyone loves a free space and bingo. It is the coveted space. So if you want to take over our space, don't worry about it. That That's what this is for. And we have, uh, I guess this came in from a listener on direct message on Twitter. They really want us to talk about this. So it's why I hate the Kardashians. That's oh. what someone wanted to know. Did they really want to know why we hate the Kardashians, why you hate the Kardashians, or that they just wanted us to talk about the oh, Kardashians? I, I'm, if we are talking about the Kardashians, we're going to talk about hating the Kardashians. I so. think we should talk about how Chloe looks way different. She's still denying mm. plastic surgery right. rumors right now. But if you look at these before and after pictures, OMG, this is crazy. She looks like a doll, right? Do you totally agree, right? When you were looking at that profile of her and her chin, there's just something about okay, her chin. Stop it! She, she just have you know they you know how everyone's into sleep stories these are anger stories <laughs> how to how to piss how to get something very angry yeah like it'll wake me up in the morning and just put me in a bad mood so so here's what i don't like about the kardashians uh-huh. i i think that the the kardashians became famous because uh, they existed and nothing more than that they didn't really they don't really have any talent they didn't really it, it was Disagree. one of the first you disagree with them not having talent? Yes, very much so. Why? Why it's, do you think they're talented? I <laughs> I think you have to have a supreme level of talent in something to turn what everyone calls their lack of talent into a multi-billion dollar business. So I think you okay, have but to I, you have to know like I think being able to turn, so we think of talent as like you're painting, you're singing, you're whatever, right? All those different things. You're good at sports or you're good at speaking or we think we're good at speaking. They put us on the air. I don't know why, but that's a talent and you and I are billionaires because of our talent. But 
I think when you don't have something like that, and yet you still find a way to get TV deals, to get makeup deals, to get all of these things, you you become a shrewd, shrewd business person. And we place so many business people and other people who are at the top of every other industry. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. All the hustle and the hard work that they got there. That to me takes a level of talent that I think we just, I don't think we respect them for it because they use their bodies to get there. Okay. The, the thing that bothers me then is that they they decided, okay, we have money and so we are going to just focus on the fact that we have money and people are going to want to watch us sit around and talk about our lifestyle and our status and and our bodies and that's what we're going to use in order to get richer and build this weird empire that I think that I think that's in some ways has a good influence, but in a lot of ways, people just end up feeling like they want to be like the Kardashians and then they shame themselves if they're not that, and which that, I don't think is a good influence. That that part I agree with is bad. However, I just want you to think about if you, let's say you walked into Netflix right now and you pitched an idea and they bought it, you would be praised for having that idea. So is it really the Kardashians' fault for saying we're kind of a, we're nothing. kind of we're kind of a kooky family? But but it's they they said they walked in and they said here's our idea we're a kooky family you should put us on TV and everyone else did it and we've all bought it well not not you obviously but we've all bought it that to me is smart so it's not that they were like we're so much better than everybody else they're they're the ones who just who like did it I think. They now, of course, they started from so privilege they're fam- and whatever. So you respect, right? So they're you're respecting them and praising them because they just sat and said, "We're interesting. Film us doing just living our lives." They convinced somebody to buy it, and now right. now they have multiple billion dollar businesses. Oh, trust me, I know. They don't live <laughs> far from me. Uh, all right, more drop the subject when we come back. Drop the subject. The new channel Q. Oh boy, it's that time. It's super sad. We are sad to leave you on Drop the Subject. We're so sorry. It is the end of the day, but it has been a fantastic show. Man, if there is nothing but these Dr. John Paul conversations, sometimes, you know, I I feel like I have a grip on things and I'm doing a good job of educating. And then Dr. John Paul just comes in and is like, this is how we should have these conversations. And I just, I love it so much. So um, you definitely, if you miss that conversation with Dr. John Paul that we had, of course, please go download the podcast. We prefer you do it on radio.com. Look for drop the subject or wherever you get your podcast. Yes, I, I always learn a lot from Dr. John Paul. And, you know, we've gotten some incredible messages from listeners on a regular basis saying how much they've loved having and listening to Dr. John on the show. And we will continue to have them on as much as possible as we continue to learn and educate ourselves and have conversations that, uh, you know, that are a little, that dig a little deeper than the surface. So yeah. it's, it's, so it's been great and we will continue to do that. And uh, also, do the work, by the way. And that's yes, something and I kind of got out of that. With, like, yeah, yeah. we got to keep doing the work, have the conversation and then go out and do the work. Yes, exactly. Uh, we also talked in the GMA about the word partner, the term partner. Should straight people be using it? Someone took over our DTS free space with Kardashian talk. And we did a review of Mary Trump's book. So if you missed anything, download that podcast tomorrow. 
We, uh, I, I have a story that I have been saving and I've been meaning to ask you about. I ended up sleeping in the same bed as my wife and my mother. <gasps> um, I'm not even going to, I can't, don't have time to get into the details, but I will oh, no. get into it tomorrow when we start the show. So tune in tomorrow. We'll see you then. Goodbye. On the next, on the next, drop the subject. Next week is sure to be a blast. And as unemployment rates continue to skyrocket, we'd like to take this opportunity to let our bosses know we're essential to the workforce. We love Channel Q. Radio Radio.com is great. So functional. We love our bosses. They have nice hair and chiseled bodies. And nothing is more essential than listening to Drop the Subject. Their legs are hairless and svelte. Drop the Subject, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific, 1 to 4 Eastern, on Channel Q.